who will unite the Mandalorians in Season 3. Welcome back to Nerdist News. I'm Hector Navarro, and it's time to plot your hyperspace course to the galaxy far, far away because Season 3 of The Mandalorian premiered today, our first episode of the series since December 2020. Where has all that time gone? Global pandemic. This episode hit all the classic notes you want from a Mando episode. We've got fights galore, reunions, Grogu being Grogu, and enough This Is The Ways to fill a data tape. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. Chapter 17, titled The Apostate, written by Jon Favreau and directed by Rick Famuyiwa, also set up one of the biggest plot threads that this season will be exploring. Namely, who will assume the title of Mandalore the leader of the Mandalorian people by the end of this season. And before we get into discussing that, along with some of the cooler Easter eggs and references we spotted along the way, we want to give you a spoiler warning. So, if you're all ready for spoilers, grab a snack as we dive in. With the Mandalorians seeking the truth of their ruined homeworld Mandalore in this season, and with Din Djarin wielding the Darksaber, the mythical weapon whose wielder can lay claim to lead the Mandalorian people, there are a few options as to who could reunite all of the Mandalorian clans on a restored Mandalore. It'll be a bloody affair as well. Weapons are their religion after all, and the Darksaber must be won in combat, as we heard from Moff Gideon in the Season 2 finale and saw confirmation of in The Book of Boba Fett. Let's start with options as they're introduced in the episode. The episode opens on The Armorer, leader of the Children of the Watch, the Mandalorian splinter group to which Din Djarin also belonged before he removed his helmet. Underneath a mythosaur skull, she forges a Beskar helmet for a youngling who is taking an oath to join the Children of the Watch. This is the way. This is the way. The hidden covert has grown from their extremely diminished numbers on Glavis Ringworld that we see in the Book of Boba Fett where they went to regroup after they aided Din Djarin on Navarro. And sure, some of them get pretty banged up in the fight against the kaiju-sized creature, <laughs> but they're still doing better overall. And as an Easter egg, one of the Mandos present seems to be using the EE-3 blaster that Boba Fett uses in the original trilogy. Seeing the armorer grow and lead her covert shows that she has the leadership capabilities to take the role as Mandalore. But she might have to learn to be a little less rigid in her strict creed rules that separate her from other groups of Mandalorians. The creed teaches us of redemption. Redemption is no longer possible. One of the themes of The Mandalorian as a series has been about reunification and putting differences aside, as we see from Din having to trust a Jedi, the Mandalorian's ancient enemy, to train young Grogu. If the Armorer is able to do something like this, we could see her as the new Mandalore. If she can't bend her rules, we might see her die trying. Another option we see in the opening is Paz Vizsla, who is still with the Armorer. He comes from a long and storied clan of Mandalorians that is explored in the animated series The Clone Wars and Rebels. Paz's ancestor also was the Jedi Mandalorian Tar Vizsla, who originally constructed the Darksaber. Paz challenged Din for the Darksaber in the Book of Boba Fett, and, um, he didn't win. (laughs) Whoops! It is done! There's also a Clan Vizsla symbol we see with the Covert, showing how important that clan is to Mandalorian society. With family and clan ties also being a big theme in The Mandalorian, we could see a world where Paz follows the footsteps of his ancestors and becomes a leader. And to further back up the idea of the themes to be explored in this season, before the young Mandalorian can finish their oath and promise to never remove their helmet, 
We get interrupted by nature itself. Maybe some mystical power that binds the galaxy together doesn't want Mandalorians to have to take that oath. It is a little extreme after all. We're talking about balance, right? <laughs> Let's balance it out. Work-life balance. <laughs> after a cameo from Meth Gator, we have the arrival of the titular Mandalorian, Din Djarin himself, along with the foundling Grogu. And if you're confused as to why Din and Grogu have reunited despite season two's finale having Luke Skywalker take Grogu off to train as a Jedi, well, that all gets covered in episodes five through seven of The Book of Boba Fett. Oh boy. Hey look everyone, it's Mando! Having Din go from foundling rescued from the horrors of the Clone Wars by a Mandalorian cult to a zealot who won't take his helmet off, to a father figure, to leader of the entire dang planet, would be a pretty cool character arc. Plus, he's the title character. The odds shoot up just based on that fact alone. Although we would never tell you the odds. Never tell me the odds. Din's quest during this season will be to learn more about his place among the Mandalorians as he seeks to cleanse his sins in the living waters in the mines beneath the surface of Mandalore. This was first explained in The Book of Boba Fett, Chapter 5, but was reiterated here for those who might have missed that show. Oh, boy. And yeah, technically there's no footage from The Book of Boba Fett in the opening previously on for this first episode of the new season, but the scene between Din Djarin and the Armorer is kind of a refresh of its own. Along with Din Djarin, we'd be remiss to not mention Grogu as a possibility to become the new Mandalore. Now hang on, okay, okay, wait a second here. It's a little bit of a joke answer, but he would be the perfect wielder of the Darksaber as someone who has been trained both by the Jedi and the Mandalorians. It's like poetry. It rhymes. Again, it's like poetry. It's sort of they rhyme. Mm -hmm. Every stanza kind of rhymes with the last one. But this would mean Grogu would have to fight Din, and we're not sure our hearts could handle seeing that fight, okay? Sure, the odds are a little bit long on this one, but it's still a possibility. And tell us, you weren't also thinking the armorer was off to make little Grogu his own little Mandalorian helmet after her scene with the father and son. Come on! It'd be so cute! And Disneyland would sell the shit out of that! Afterwards, Din and Grogu travel through hyperspace to Navarro, the best planet in Star Wars. But while they are in hyperspace, Grogu sees an entire pod of Pergil. These kind of space whales can travel through hyperspace and were a big part of the finale to Star Wars Rebels. There, Ezra Bridger and Grand Admiral Thrawn were hyperspaced off to the Force knows where by Pergil. That show ends with Ahsoka Tano, along with the Mandalorian Sabine Wren, embarking on a mission to find young Ezra. Including them here is a setup for Ahsoka's standalone series coming later this year. We'll probably get more references to Sabine as the season goes on, but with Purgle being so tied to Rebels, we have to include Sabine as a possible new Mandalore. She even wielded the Darksaber herself at a time and is also intrinsically tied to the destruction of Mandalore, having created a super weapon called the Arc Pulse Generator that the Empire used to fry Mandos in their Beskar armor. Odds are also long that a character that we've not yet met in this series would become leader of the Mandalorians, but there's still a chance. We don't see Boba Fett in this episode, but we're throwing the clone who isn't technically a Mandalorian into the ring for the job. Oh boy. He's already the most iconic person in Star Wars to wear Mandalorian armor, so why couldn't he become an icon to the Mandalorians as a whole as well? He would intend to rule with respect. Like a bantha. Yes. 
During the pit stop at Navarro, we get an update on the planet along with some Easter eggs. It's doing so much better now with thriving Kawaki and monkey lizards, the school that Grogu visits in season two, and an EV series droid similar to the one in Jabba's palace that isn't bothering poor protocol droids. <laughs> we learn that Navarro is looking for a new marshal. Marshal Cara Dune was recruited by special forces in a real poochie moment. Perhaps they could hire Cobb Vanth to fill the marshal role. That'd be cool. And we also learn that Moff Gideon is facing a war tribunal. We then learn a way to fix IG-11 from some adorable Anzellans that Grogu seems to like as much as we do. <laughs> Bad baby. IG-11 is the only droid that Din trusts, although not in his murdery old form that chases them across the floor. Seems like the droid will be back to help explore Mandalore, voiced by Taika Waititi once again. And I will have served my purpose. After Din and Grogu have a dogfight in an asteroid field that is very reminiscent of the Jango-Obi-Wan dogfight in Attack of the Clones, they escape the clutches of the pirate king, Gorian Shard, while this Force-sensitive child experiences some G-forces from the N1's afterburner. This line means we're definitely seeing Shard and Vayne again. And as a side note, we weren't 100% sure what those fighters were that the pirate Vane and his cohorts were piloting, but they look a bit like the Legends Continuity Star Chaser, which shows up in video games like X-Wing vs. TIE Fighter and The Force Unleashed 2. There's another Force Unleashed Easter egg later on as well. Additional voices in this episode were provided by Sam Witwer, who played Starkiller in the Force Unleashed games, as well as voices Darth Maul in both cartoons and in Solo, A Star Wars Story. Another additional voice is Matthew Wood, the longtime Lucasfilm sound editor who is also the voice of General Grievous. General Kenobi! And that brings us to our final option as to who could become the Mandalore, which we think might be the most likely other than Din. Mando and Grogu travel to Kalevala, another planet in the Mandalore system. There they meet Bo-Katan Kryze in her castle on Kalevala. Wait, sorry, that's B-roll of Caladan. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> She's alone. Her followers left her after she failed to secure the Darksaber from Moff Gideon. But she's certain that they're going to follow Din if he just waves it around. <laughs> Typical guy. Bo-Katan also has a huge history when it comes to ruling Mandalore. Let's just say it's the family business. Her sister, the Duchess Satine Kreese, tries to make Mandalore more of a pacifist planet, which eventually led to splinter groups like Death Watch and the Children of the Watch breaking off. Bo-Katan was actually a member of Death Watch for a time, which is why she is so disdainful of Din and other splinter groups. With Din as the current rightful Darksaber wielder, a fight with Bo-Katan is all but assured. But whether that ends with one character dead or both characters' deeper allies remains to be seen. The episode ends with Din finding out where to go next. The mines are located beneath the civic center of the domed capital city of Sundari. We're definitely eager to learn more about who could step up to lead the Mandalorians when the next chapter debuts next Wednesday. We hope to see you soon. But in the meantime, what do you folks think? Who do you think will end up leading the United Mandalorians? Are there any major clues we missed? He said they're very hard to find. I got it. Let us know in the comments below. Thank you so much for watching. And for the latest and greatest in the world of pop culture, stay tuned to Nerdist.com. <laughs>